Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. On today's episode, I had the pleasure of being interviewed by my friend, Lauren Paler. Lauren went to the same health coaching school as me, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And especially since COVID, her and I have become close friends. She has an amazing podcast of her own. It's called Lit Up With Low. And I was a guest on her podcast early on in COVID, It was one of the reasons that I felt so inspired to step into having my own. And so we discussed that a little bit. We discussed what it's been like for me as a podcaster. And then we dive really deep on the newfound awareness that I've developed since COVID. So being by myself for such a long time has really forced me to look inwards. It was something that I was doing a little bit, but it forced me to go all in on that. And we uncover the benefit of doing that type of work. And so I talk about my journey in working with my coach and really what I'm up to and my mission and purpose in the world. So Lauren is such a fantastic interviewer. She unearths so many gems from me. And I think you're going to get so much out of this conversation. I think it'll be really neat for you to see me on the interviewed and settle in, take a deep breath. and enjoy this episode. This is our second time recording together. Our Uh first time was incredible. It was one of my most downloaded episodes. It was amazing. And I know you actually decided to start a podcast after that episode, right? Uh Yes. So what do you think it was about that first episode that, you know, brought you to that conclusion? Hmm. Well, uh, so I want to start by saying it was in the back of my mind. Having a podcast was on my mind for a while. So it wasn't that when we had the conversation that it was like this first, this brand new thing that was introduced to me. But what did happen was I, I certainly had a limiting belief about like, would I be a good interviewer? Is my show going to be able to make any difference in a, in a very crowded marketplace? And when you, so one, we started IN together and I saw you have a a flourishing podcast. So there was that component of it. And being on your podcast, I just felt this sense of aliveness that I, that you and I are both very familiar with now. When you're talking about something you're passionate about with someone who has a shared interest, there's this exponential energy that emerges in the conversation that I, I got that first kind of uh, hit of it when me and you had that conversation. And I was like, I, I want more of that. So I signed up, I think it was two months after our conversation, I signed up for a podcast workshop and went more into the logistics of it. And I wanted to be in a community of people that were also like trying to start a podcast. And yeah, you you hold that really great space for guests. And I wanted to kind of do the same thing and 
we've spoken about this where you, you learn so much and it becomes, it's like very in a selfish way, you're learning from people you're inspired by, and then you get to share it with the world. And it's a great platform to have these really meaningful conversations. Mm-hmm. I personally think everyone should have a podcast mm-hmm. <laughs> because like you said, it's like, rather than, you know, bugging someone saying, can I take you out for coffee so I can, you know, pick your brain, you get an hour of their time and you get to promote them. So it's actually a win-win. Yes. And yeah, if, if you have any passion at all, really, if you're curious about any subject matter, it is, it's the perfect platform to just invite someone in for a conversation. And like you said, you, you promote them and, and you get to learn. So it's, it's a win for everybody. Mm-hmm. So was it everything you thought it was going to be now that you do have a podcast? Yeah. So it's funny because I said I had to work with and work through my limiting beliefs. And even as I started the podcast, I still, and I still do to a certain extent, I still have this doubt. It, like if I have this person I'm inspired by, like, what if I don't know what to say? I'm, I'm going to mess up. They're going to think I'm an idiot. And to answer the actual question, like it's been more than I expected for sure. Like I'm, I'm having these, these conversations with people that I'm listening to them on podcasts and I'm thinking to myself, I, I wish I had the skill set to interview them and have them on mine. And it's actually happening now. Like I'm, I'm interviewing these people that I'm truly inspired by. And then at the very end of it, they, they say like, what a great interviewer I was and the, the space that I hold. And it's, it, it's so confidence building. So I went into it knowing like I had a love for it as a listener. And then I had a love for it as a guest of yours. And I've been on a couple of other ones, but I think my favorite interview that I did was on yours. And every conversation is like a new, there's a new life that uh, emerges from it, that no matter how much you plan for it or what you think is going to happen, it goes in a million different directions. And it's, it's like so insight, like exciting and enlivening really. I think we both have a similar style in that our interviews are very conversational. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering, do you like prep questions ahead of time or you just like let it flow? Mm-hmm. In the beginning, I wanted to map out everything. So I, I wrote down like five topics I wanted to discuss with them. And then at the end, I, I've been doing more like rapid fire questions. And the more that I've gone into it, the more it's been more free flowing overall. And I actually pre-screen with my guests, like, do you prefer free flowing or structured. And a lot of times people say a combination of both. So my style has mostly been write down like three things that I'm most interested in covering, maybe write down their company so that I have it in front of me. And I'm not, you know, I I don't want to leave that to chance and mess up their company. And, and I still like to do the couple of questions at the end. Like one of my favorites I, I stole from Brene Brown is what's an ordinary moment in your everyday life that you're truly grateful for. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. Stuff like that. I like to sprinkle in. I like to write them down because in the heat of a conversation, it, it, it's so tempting to just like keep going with the flow. But a lot of times I, I like to ground myself with, these are a couple of things that'll be good for the listener. And it's not, it isn't just about me. Although I think if I'm engaged, like other people will definitely be engaged as well. So what, what about you though? How, how have you structured your conversations? extremely similar trajectory. I started off, you know, I wrote out 20 questions. This is everything I want to cover. And then I just realized that I, well, for one, wasn't even getting to these questions because we were going in so many great directions. Um, And 
I just realized that those were my favorite conversations anyways. Like, you know, selfishly, I just want to have a conversation with someone and I enjoyed seeing where the directions it would take. And honestly, a lot of times there's no way I could prepare for those conversations just because, you know, it doesn't say online that we're going to get into this, you know, you don't know that about somebody. And so, um, I love like, you know, just letting it take me places personally. Mm -hmm. Um, I think with the more heavy hitting guests, like there's probably a little more prep involved just because like you said, you want to like know about who they are and you know what their story is before you get into it. Um, and I also feel like it helps my questions sometimes too. Like there was definitely an interview that afterwards I was reading about her and I was like, wait, man, I wish I'd asked about that. So it's definitely a mix. That part of it is tough, right? So as, as an interviewer, sometimes you, you, in the heat of it, our heart rate is going and we're like really excited. And afterwards, it's almost like the, when you have a fight with someone and then in the shower, you think of all the comebacks you could have had, uh, that, that does happen sometimes, but to your point about like someone coming on that you need to prepare a lot for, I think a lot of times the guest feels more heard if you're reflecting things back that happen in the conversation than if you're going through some rehearsed, you know, and especially someone that is a heavy hitter. They've been on so many podcasts. They've talked about a lot of the same things so many times already that it, it is nice to that, like, there's a reason they talk about it all the time. It's their passion. And it's nice to reflect things back to them and, and really hear them and see them and offer the way that I heard it or for you, the way that you heard it in a way that forces them to reflect differently than maybe they have in the past. So I, I really have enjoyed that component of podcasting as well, because that's one of my top strengths. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I also think our podcasts are different in that I can, you know, enjoy listening to one person. And then I listen to them on five podcasts and it's the exact same conversation. And then they just ask the same questions and they say the same things. And I feel like for listeners, if you want to get something a little different, if you want to go somewhere a little, you know, different, like come to our show, not like, not as like a plug, but I just mean like, I've had guests like cry on my show. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I listen to them on another podcast and it's more just, you know, these are the facts. This is my story about a thing. And I don't know. I, I like, you know, that, that difference. I like taking people to a different place. It, it can become rote if they are consistent guests. And my listeners will certainly know this by now, but I have started off every single, I think every single conversation by asking my guest, what was it like at your dinner table growing up? And that always informs something about them, right? So Sometimes my guests will answer in a very visual way of like, so my, my dad sat at this part of the table. My mom sat across the table. I had one guy who he responded for like 20 minutes about like his father was a diplomat. So he lived in Africa for parts of his life and he's, but he's Irish. And so he, his dinner table was, it had like powerful political figures a lot of times at the table. And he was a little eight-year-old who was like trying to see how the world worked. And you and I both know that our childhood informs a lot of the way that we are. So that question always loosens, loosens the guest up. And then we're, we're off to the races usually pretty quickly after that. Great question. Well, I don't know if you've been asked it before, but what was it like at your dinner table growing up? Mm, I should have seen that one coming. (laughs) Yeah. 
at, at my dinner table, my parents were both very driven professionals, both in uh, advertising and sales. So a lot of my youngest dinner table days were, I, I had a live-in babysitter, her name is Avril, and, and I consider her a family member. When I was, I think when I was in, or when I was four years old, so I was in preschool, I made a, they told us to make a family tree. And I, I put my mom, my dad, my sister, and Avril. So in a big way, like my dinner table memories are Avril, my babysitter, uh, bringing us food, me and, and my sister, Caroline. And uh, my parents would come home at like seven or eight o'clock after dinner. And we would spend a lot of time together afterwards. So like, that's one answer to the dinner table question for me is, uh, I had such a profound love for my babysitter. And at the same time, it was a little bit like I, I miss mom and dad. That said, my mom after 9-11, so I, was, I think I was 10 years old at that time, she stopped working in the city. So she took a lot of time off, as a matter of fact. She stopped working altogether. So my like teen years, the dinner table was more how I remember just our family conversations in general, which is, my parents have both been in therapy for 30 plus years now. So my entire lifespan and our dinner table conversations are always, <laughs> we skipped the, the small talk a lot of times. I mean, we did do the, how was school? What did you learn today type of stuff? But my memories are more around everyone just uh, being able to share how they were really feeling in any given moment. So it showed up differently. I was always quieter and was taking the room in. My sister has a, a much bigger personality and my parents both have big personalities, but my memories are always that whoever had something going on, we were there. We we're all like these armchair therapists trying to help each other out and, and bring whatever was real to the dinner table. Well, that, I, that explains so much about you because yeah, we've never had small talk. <laughs> how was your day lauren <laughs> how's the weather <laughs> yeah oh my god yeah wow so i'm curious um why your mom stopped working after 9 11 the surface level answer is that she didn't feel as safe commuting to the city after after it was rocked to its core like that but i think the the deeper truth is that my mom wanted to spend more time with us. She wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, at least for a little bit. So she, she definitely has a very driven professional side, and she still to this day is very driven, successful in her business. And she's a very nurturing person. So she wanted to be there more for my sister and I on a day-to-day -day basis. She wanted to drive us to school. So yeah, I remember in that time period, like she took me on the way to school. She took me for like bagels and donuts more. And we don't need to get into the, the health component of that. But but it was it was really wonderful to actually be able to connect with her and have those little moments together, like on the way to school and actually talk with her. And so I think that she wanted to she wanted to. I'm saying like in my mind, I'm going check off the box, but like that, you know what I mean? It, that's, it wasn't checking off the box, but she wanted to see through what it was to be a stay-at-home mom and spend a lot more time with my sister and I. And it, it's not that she wasn't when she was working in the city. She still was, 
I remember her being very present for all of my sporting events when I was growing up and her just being there. It wasn't that she had this like gaping hole and an absence in my life, but she just wanted to really be there for all the smaller moments and not just the bigger ones on the weekends and on weeknights. So I think that that's the deeper truth of why she stopped working in the city. And, and then even after that, she got she became a real estate agent and worked locally. So even when she's busy, she was able to be home during the day and pick us up from school if necessary. And it was a big it was a big shift for her. And, and I'm sure looking back now, it was a big shift for uh, for me as well. Do you think 9-11 was kind of like a catalyst, like a wake up call that, you know, how short life is and you should spend it more with your kids? I never thought of it that way, but in, in the same way that COVID has been a catalyst now, a lot of times these terrible things that happen for those of us who are fortunate enough to survive them, they, they force us to take stock or reprioritize our, our life. And that is probably what happened. It, it probably, it gave my mom the impetus to say like, what, what am I doing? What am I working in the city for what I want to, I want to be with my kids more. And so yeah. I do think that's, that is what happened. I think there are a lot of stories like that um, because I had a professor in law school who he was not in the building, but he was about to walk in and it completely changed his whole life. Like he quit his job at Morgan Stanley. He started his own mediation firm. He was not planning to have kids and like went home that day. And he, as he says, it married his assistant and then was like, I want to have kids with you. Like it just, and it just changed his whole life. And now he has kids at a much later age. And it just, I think there's a lot of stories that, you know, we're so, we focus a lot on everyone who died that day. And there are stories that came out of that, that I mean, people who weren't even actually there, I think it just, like you said about COVID, I mean, it's just, it was a catalyst for change. I mean, it, so one, one reaction would be to just say, you know, shit, terrible shit happens and it's like, grieve it for a little bit and then carry on with our life. And I, I think that's probably happening to a lot of people now, but yeah, the, the other way is to, to really, it, it forces us to wake up in, in some way. So I had never, I, I don't think I ever thought of it, uh, thought about it that way personally for what happened with my mom. You mentioned that, you know, the stats was similar to what's going on with COVID. Um, how has the pandemic been a catalyst for you? Well, for one, I had already been like we, me and you both, started at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition prior to COVID. But so it, it wasn't that I really started looking inward for the first time during COVID, but it took me from uh, like, this is exciting. And I, I love to learn. And I like, I love being around other people and all that stuff to like a really slowed down forced reflection. I'm like, let's, let's really analyze everything. Like, commuting to work is that like being in an office is that serving me and I for a long portion of my life I I really I think there was a deep knowing that I was introverted and and preferred a lot of times to be alone and and reflecting on my own but I the way that I was moving in the world was just try and be more extroverted and and try and be successful by like a societal standard and I was 
even before COVID, I was starting to like tune into that. Like, is that what success really looks like for me? Like, do I, do I really want to be making a six figure salary at a job that isn't particularly rewarding intrinsically for me? But with COVID, it really, really forced me to slow down and say like, well, if I am not traveling anymore, if I'm not going to restaurants, if I don't have external major things happening to me, can I still live a rewarding and fulfilling life? That continues to be an exploration for me. I, I'm really interested in polarities these days and, and the, the concept of both and. And I want to live this life full of experiences when I'm traveling and seeing everything in the world and I'm reading lots of books and going to amazing restaurants. And I want to, on the other side of the spectrum, be able to say, like, what if, that, what if that didn't exist? Would I still be able to be happy just being me, being comfortable in my body, being Michael? That's it. And just, like, being connected with family. Of, of course, like, not actually being alone all the time, but being okay with, like, I'm great with connecting with people, connecting with nature is another huge one that emerged from COVID, like, taking so many introspective walks through Central Park. And it has, yeah, it's really helped me to grow as a person and to trust myself a lot more. Like I, I've really hung out with, I've been on Planet Michael a lot more recently than I was before COVID when I was constantly around coworkers or out partying or, or whatever else was happening in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an awesome answer. I think what COVID has done for better or for worse is it eliminated in one swoop every distraction that we all are putting into our lives constantly so we don't have to focus on the shit that is right in front of our faces internally in your marriage and your family and at home. I mean, it's all a Band-Aid. And then the pandemic hit and that Band-Aid was just ripped off and we all suddenly were just alone with our thoughts, with our fights, like everything in the home was suddenly all you had to see. And it was, I mean, I know it like rocked me. Like at the beginning of the pandemic, I was depressed. Like I was eating and drinking so much. And like here, this is someone who I had the tools, like I was meditating and journaling. And like, suddenly though, you know, I didn't have my workout classes anymore. Like that rocked me like <laughs> it's something so simple going out to dinner like I was just like what I that's such a big part of my life and so suddenly it was face to face with me like you said planet Lauren like can I just be happy with myself and, and with my husband and if we didn't have anything else would be we'd be okay and honestly like we had to work through a lot like both of us individually as a couple it was, I feel like the catalyst for so much growth, but honestly, growth is so painful. So mm -hmm. it was, it was tough. And it continues to be Lauren. I'll say that it's a continued process. It's, it's not something that we ever arrive at. So yeah, I, I talk with my coach a lot about, we don't need to get into internal family systems because I've discussed that a, a bunch of times, but my coach does, it's a therapeutic modality and at a very high level it posits that we all have multiple parts and like a really simple way of putting this would be a, a part of me wants to go out for dinner tonight. And a part of me wants to stay home and read. And we, uh, we can have these conflicting 
desires that, that seem to uh, headbutt against each other. And that causes internal conflict, strife. And yeah, I have a part of me who like really desires to be enlightened and want, and it's like, come on, Mike, you know, all the tools, like you should never, ever be messing up. You should never snap at your wife. Like keep your shit together, man. And uh, there's other parts of me that like, you know, I get triggered by things that I make up the story that they, I shouldn't be mad about them. I shouldn't be having a reaction. And COVID has really forced us to take a look at all of those little things. And luckily my wife and I have been up to the challenge of like, let's look at everything in our life. We we've had, uh, it's been bumpy at times, right? Like we, at one point I was going to be leaving my job altogether. And, and that forced us to really take a look at our finances and all of the different things that come up in a relationship, the different ways of communicating about like, do we want to do this today or that today? And all the small things too. <laughs> I'm angry if you leave something in the dish, you know, like dishes in the sink. Like we, if we ignore those things, then uh, eventually it trickles into the big things in our life. And uh, I'm working really hard to name all of those little things because uh, they're there. Like if we, we could choose to ignore them, but they are in there. So uh, that has been, it, it gets messy at times, but it, it's the growth is incredibly fulfilling. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. We're both bringing up you know, our relationships. And I think it's because, and I've, I've talked about this with my therapist, because I'm in therapy now. Mm -hmm. I love it. You know, COVID was make or break for couples because you spend like 24 seven together. Suddenly you go from being, you know, your like lover partner to, okay, now I'm your, your best friend, your colleague, your boss, your roommate. It's like, suddenly you fill every single role in their life. And it's a lot of pressure, mm -hmm. like so much pressure. And luckily, I mean, it's made us, you know, stronger, like through, through with the pandemic, but it's been bumpy for sure. And I think the couples that couldn't take that, that's why they cracked. And I think there were a lot of like breakups during the pandemic and it just, it's, you know, it's shown us like so much about each other as a couple that like, when you're, you know, off to your nine to five or whatever for the day, it's like, you don't really even just see that full side of, you know, your partner. And, um, you know, it shows, it's shown us everything. It's shown the cracks. Like it's not, you know, I think especially living in New York, it can be all fun and games and you're, you know, out in the city and then you come home and, you know, this has really just forced us to like sit and just talk and talk and never stop talking. So, um, I, yeah, it's interesting that we're both bringing up our relationships when we talk about the pandemic. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard not to. I think that the pandemic has been a magnifying glass on every domain of our life. Like it, it's really just zooming in on like, hey, like you've been ignoring this. Uh, all right. Uh, well, here's what's going to happen if you continue to ignore it. And one of the things you didn't say the word, but boundaries have been a, a huge thing, right? So like, when you are commuting to a job and you're going into an office, there's, there's natural boundaries that happen. Like you're, you're going to, you're doing your own thing for eight to 10 hours, whatever it is, even if it's only a few hours a day. And if you're home together all the time, now you're, you're forced to have conversations about boundaries that you wouldn't otherwise have to. So it sounds really 
maybe maybe stupid to some people, but like one of the things that happened early on was I would say, you know, I'm an introvert. So I like to be alone sometimes in the morning. I'd block off. Like I love having a little bit of my, like one of my favorite rituals is having coffee next to my wife in the morning. But I always go for a walk by myself for like 45 minutes to an hour. I just, it's, it's my time. I like to go do my thing. And I think it's important to, uh, that that's not an indictment on my wife. That's just something about me. I, I like to be alone a lot of the time. And that's, you know, I, I wasn't really taking as much of a look at that before COVID. I was just doing what I thought I was supposed to be doing. So I, yeah, I'd be curious to hear if there's something like that that's, that's showed up in your relationship. So, I mean, honestly, the exact same thing, because I could, if we were sitting here together, I could talk and talk for like 24 hours straight. But my husband, he is very similar to you where he only loves me. Like, you know, he could talk to me too, but he also likes that like recharge, like introvert time. And, um, I just, it's, it was very hard for me to be aware of that because we, like you said, we never had to deal with that before. We would honestly, before the pandemic, we had separate apartments. We moved in together during the pandemic. So we always had that recharge time. And, um, it was definitely rocky at first because I felt rejected. Like I hear I am trying to talk to you and you suddenly you don't want to talk like what's going on. And so it definitely took time. And now I think we're, we're there where for me to realize, oh, like it's not me. He just needs this time, you know, to sit and watch basketball alone. And like, it's okay. Like I can go do my thing. It's cool. Um, so yeah, similar boundaries. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of my favorite things that has emerge from this you were saying if he wants to be alone then you're ha- you're having the judgment that he is rejecting you in some way or, or something like that mm-hmm. and we all we're all making up stories about things all the time so one of the things that I have been conscious of bringing into my relationship is if I have a judgment or a thought or belief I will start it by saying I'm making up the story that so one, one of my triggers is like, if my wife is on her phone, I, I feel rejected. I I'm like, I want you to pay more attention to me. I, like, I, I want to feel connected to you. So some, in a, in an unenlightened Michael way, I will tell her like, put your phone down. Like, it's dinner time. We need to be connecting. If in a more enlightened, if I take a step back and, and I'm communicating from a place of like presence. I'll say, I'm making up the story that, and then I'll say something like, when you're on your phone, I make up the story that you're not paying attention to me. And I would appreciate if we had some time to connect one-on-one and and talk about our day or whatever it is. So that, that little phrase, just like it eases all of these judgments that we are and stories that we're making up all the time. I like that a lot. And I also, I'm sure your wife appreciates knowing like what she needs from you. Cause I feel like so much of relationships is like, we're just picking up on cues and we're think this is what the person wants, but we don't really know. And like, you know, one of the things that we always come back to is I, I'm a mover and a shaker when I'm, I'm multitasking, when we're talking, I'm also folding laundry and my husband likes for me to just stop and, and talk to him. But if he doesn't like tell me that I'm just going to keep going and I, and it's not, I'm listening, I'm fully focused, but I'm also, 
I just like to move my hands also. <laughs> and so I've asked of him, I'm like, I see that you need this. You need to now tell me when you need me to stop and sit and look at you because otherwise I, I don't know. And I'm just going to keep going. And, and, you know, if for most of the day you're okay with me, you know, move in and walking around while I'm talking to you, then I'm going to think then this is fine. So I need you to tell me what you need from me, like exactly. And I, and I'll be there. I, I want you to have that space. It's another one that's so simple, but it's like, that can't possibly be it, Lauren, right? You just, you're just requesting what it is that you need and that's it. Like what? But it is, it is really that simple. I, in my opinion, I mean, it's, it doesn't make it easy. It's, we still might have a lot of narratives in our head about like, why is it reasonable that I'm doing that? Whatever. But yeah, if you, if you know what it is that you're feeling and needing in any moment and are able to request it, like sky's the limit in your relationship. Mm -hmm. And and if I've realized anything about like spending this much time with someone, it's that we don't know what the other person needs. We're, we can't expect to know we're all different. Like, I mean, like how often throughout our lives, like, have you been like, Oh, they should just know this. They should just know this. Come on. They should just know. And honestly, like it would save, have saved me so much time. If I could go back and be like, actually they don't know. There's no way they could know. Um, so yeah, understanding that and understanding too, that like, it doesn't mean it's a bad relationship. If you have, if you, if you look at things differently, or if you need things to be different, you know, like that, it says nothing that it's about you as a couple. Like it's actually just means you're two different humans where, right. and you need different things and that's okay. And as long as you communicate, it'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my former coaches said, you can say, I love you in a thousand different ways. And so there's, everyone knows, I think the five love languages, there's physical touch, there's acts of service, words of affirmation, gifts, and I, I, quality time, I think is the last one. And then like, even within that, there's, there's so many different ways that people adopt the way that they move through the world, really. And the only way to ever know is to really try and see the other person. And, and, you, and that starts a lot with inner work, honestly, you have to, you have to know yourself. So that's, that's been to circle back to one of the benefits of COVID for me is I've really taken a lot of time to know myself in in ways that are more intimate than the way I knew myself before COVID. And in being able to know myself, then I'm able to make those requests for what it is that I'm wanting or needing in any given moment. And uh, it it provides a space for, I I mean, this is my hope is that for other people that are in my life, then they feel permission to request what it is that they're wanting or needing in any given moment as well. That's a great segue um, because I know you've been talking a lot with me about like your, the somatic knowing and like mm. understanding your emotions more. So I'd love to hear more about like knowing that side of yourself. So I started working with my current coach in April and his name is Yotam and I, I've done, I actually recorded a podcast episode and an actual coaching session with him. And a lot of our work was taking this living from the neck up way of being into your body has lots of intuitive intelligence. Let's tap into that. So 
One of one of the biggest shifts for me is that I've had a lot of resistance to the sensation I feel when I'm in fear. So for me, fear will show up in my gut area. And it can be in times where I make up the story that I shouldn't be in fear, like I'm going out to dinner with a couple of friends or something, or I'm presenting to a really small group of people. I, for almost my entire life, either ran away from doing things like that because I resisted the sensation of fear, or I would press through it and have a strong judgment of myself still that one day I better not fucking feel this fear anymore. This is, this is really bad that I'm feeling fear. And so what's, what's been amazing about my work with Yotam, a, a lot of things, but one of the things that's been amazing is that we welcome any sensation that emerges. Uh, emotions are just energy in motion in the body. And that's what feelings are whether it's anger, sadness, joy, frustration, whatever it is, we are getting some sort of sensory experience from our body that's communicating something to us. And for most of my life, I was ignoring all that and trying to rationalize everything in my head. So it's, I'm still very much in the beginning of my somatic journey, but one of the things has been like, if I feel angry, let's just notice that. Like, Let's just take stock of where, where do I feel anger and what even is anger? So for me, anger, a lot of times will show up. It does start in the gut and then it becomes this like throbbing sensation in my head. And the, just the other night, actually, I was watching TV with my wife and I just formed an LLC for my business, like literally this past week. And uh, my wife said she made a suggestion about something that I should do with my LLC. And I immediately went right. I felt the anger. Like I, I, I don't like being told what to do. And so I, I got this like bubbling sensation in my gut. Then it went into my head. And in the past, I would have totally mentally overrode that. I would have said it's, it's so stupid that you're feeling angry right now. I don't, I don't even have time to feel angry. Like, let's just move on. Let's ignore that. And let's get on with our life. Like she was just trying to help you, blah, blah, blah. What I did was I took a breath. I got still for like three minutes. I waited until I was actually in a place where I wasn't going to lash out at my wife. And when I, when I felt actually present and not like reactive and triggered, I just said to my wife, I noticed when, when you said that, I just noticed some anger bubbling up in me. And I, I know it might sound silly, but I just wanted to say, I, I know that you're trying to help it, but and I'd really appreciate it if you said it as a request next time and not something that you're telling me that I should do. And th that was it. Like, yeah. That was, wow. that was it, you know, and I'm still not nearly perfect at that. There are lots of times that I, I feel anger or agitation or whatever the feeling is, sadness that I, because it's so conditioned and patterned in me that I will try and push it down and override it. And it's like, I, I need, I have to get this work done. Like don't have time for feelings, but as I've gotten better and better at it, 
it releases the, like, if you don't feel your emotions to completion, they, they get stuck in your body. And that's a lot of time that manifests in the long run as stress, anxiety, or like in really extreme cases, people will have panic attacks because the body is like, eventually it's like, hello, we've got a lot of stuff going on here. You can't ignore me forever. And, uh, Fortunately for me, it never came to a panic attack, but I was having outbursts. Like I remember after busy season was over uh, this past April, there was a time where I was with my wife and I just broke down. Like I, I started hysterically crying and I was like, I can't, I just can't do this anymore. Like, I don't know if I have another busy season of accounting left in me. And in February and March and the beginning of April, when I was really busy, I was just plowing through and I was trying to do all the, you know, like mindset is everything. Just have to stay positive, keep a positive attitude, like try and reframe everything. And I think there is a time and place for that sometimes. But what I was doing was sidestepping my emotions. Like I was lots of fear, lots of uh, sadness that I wasn't allowing myself to feel. And it eventually just came into an outburst. And so that doesn't have to happen if we on a moment to moment basis can stay curious about what our emotions are telling us. So you, you've really got me going on a topic that I love here. And so I'm going to, I'm going to keep going. I love this organization called the conscious leadership group. And there's a book, the 15 commitments of conscious leadership that I've read a couple of times now. And on a surface level, it's a book for like executives to become more conscious leaders, which means to become more embodied and be able to handle conflict better and take radical responsibility. And I'll skip all the like buzzwords. And if you want to go deeper, it's an amazing book. But one of the one of my favorite parts of that book is that it gives a really basic guide for a map of where we feel our emotions. So the, the core five, which I've really spoken in depth about already, but I'll, I'll go a little bit deeper. Joy, sadness, anger, fear, and creative or sexual feelings. And like that one can get a little bit dicey, but they, they lump those together, creative and sexual feelings. And they give an actual body map of where you typically feel them in the body and the questions that you can ask yourself about them. So with joy you typically we feel that in like our heart or it could be like a full embodied thing, but I feel joy a lot of times in my hands and my feet, they get a little tingly and uh, like joy or excitement is in my heart as well. And the question that the conscious leadership group would have you ask about joy is what gets to be celebrated. And a lot of times we think we only have an aversion to the negative emotions, but we also don't let ourselves feel joy because we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. So it's important to like actually feel your joy too. We, we cut off both ends of the spectrum with uh, creative or sexual feelings. I typically feel that more in like my pelvis area and uh, yeah, it's more like a below the hips energy. And, and I think it's the same for men and women. And the question you'd ask yourself is what gets to be created right now? And that's another part that a lot of us are cut off from because we work jobs that are, that don't require that of us. But I think innate in every human is a desire to create or to do something of meaning. So 
Uh, those have been two big ones for me. Sadness is what, what needs to be grieved or what gets to be grieved or, or let go of. And that's another one that even on a small scale, like maybe I'm thinking right now, like what if this conversation that me and Lauren are having just got cut off, like the recording didn't work and we weren't able to share with the world. And at least for a moment, I would be sad. So like, can I just allow myself to feel a little bit sad and can I let go of that? And what that might look like for me is like, I feel that in my eyes and in my throat. And so that's the embodied feeling of sadness. Anger would be for me, it's typically, like I said before, it's a throbbing in my head and my heart starts to like seem like it's expanding and I might even tighten my jaw and have my like shoulders come up, but that's more embodied anger. And the question that anger invites you into is what gets to or needs to be stopped. So that, that comes back to the boundary setting for me. A lot of my anger comes around a boundary that hasn't been set that I am desiring to have set. And the last one's fear, which is the fear has been the, the one that has been most dominant in my life. And fear, I feel in my gut really strongly. Like that's something that, and then my heart starts racing, my palms get sweaty. And fear invites us into the question of what needs to be learned or known right now. And so, you know, one of my biggest somatic shifts has been to welcome the fear and invite it in. And uh, it actually allows me in a lot of ways to perform better and, and be more alert. So it's a big journey, but I'm really trying to welcome in all of these different sensations in the body and uh, be curious about what, what's the wisdom in these emotions and what are, what are they here to teach me? Wow. Jeez, that was powerful. <laughs> I mean, that's life-changing advice. Like if, if anyone listens to this episode, just to hear that. And because I, I've done it more with like anxiety. I used to let anxiety like dictate my day when it would show up like knocking. I'd just be like, okay, it's taking over. I'm going to feel anxious the rest of the day. And the biggest shift for me is just noticing it's there and just observing it and asking, well, why are you here right now? What, what can I do differently? Or what can we kind of talk through? Cause sometimes for me, it's like obsessive thoughts that I just can't like get out of my head. Like, why are you there? And honestly, for me, a lot of times saying like, get out of my head. Isn't helpful. It's just going to keep knocking and knocking and knocking. And so somehow I usually have to invite it in for a conversation. I mean, think about it. It's like a person at your door. It's just going to keep knocking till you let it in. I invite it in for a conversation. For me, the most helpful thing I can do is also while I'm having this conversation, I'm moving my body. So it's Mm -hmm. yoga or it's spin or um, just even just go out for a walk. And I usually am able to rationalize with it and I let it go. And it has been so life-changing. Like I could cry because I just used to let it just take over. And I think finding ways to move my body too has been the most helpful thing because I used to, I used to always work out, but it was not right for me and my mind. It would just be like a run where I would be texting the whole time and obsessing over whatever was going on. I wasn't truly like free for me, like doing 
something like spin where you're in the dark and I can't be on my phone. I, I actually have to just be alone with my thoughts or yoga, same thing. That's allowed me then to work through whatever it is. And I always leave class completely clear. And so for me, I've now I work out every morning because then before my day started, it's like whatever I woke up with, instead of letting it just dictate my day, I've worked through it and I'm able to move forward. And it's not to say it, it's not going to come back. I mean, it'll probably show up for a few days in a row, or if I'm, once I'm alone with my thoughts, it'll probably come again, but I can talk to it and work with it. And then, and we can move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm really glad that you brought up the, the different forms of movement that, that you can do to, to create the space for the, the thoughts to keep flowing and the feelings. And I actually want to give our listeners a, a little exercise that they can do uh, to, to help them maybe hopefully resolve a conflict that might be brewing in their life. So me and you don't have to do it right now, but I did this in a conscious leadership group workshop and it had a profound shift on every attendee that was there. So I'll invite the listener to take something that is happening in your life that is activating you in some way that's triggering you. It could be a boss that you feel is too on top of you. It could be something that's happening in your relationship. It could be anything at all. And just allow it to be there right now. And what you typically might do in this situation is then just keep ruminating on the thought. And instead of that, I want you to stand up right now and just shake your body in whatever, whatever way it wants to be shaken, whatever you want to do to move around, maybe flail your arms, kick your legs out a little bit. You might even want to <clears throat> clear your throat, groan a little bit, let out whatever noise wants to be let out and keep moving your body for a minute, set a timer for a minute and just keep moving around. Maybe move your hips, get it, get everything going. Move your fingers, your toes, shrug your shoulders. And if you pause this and come back after the minute, how do you feel about the situation that had you activated or triggered now? And you're probably thinking a lot more clear-headed about it. I mean, maybe you're, maybe you're still activated in some way but you probably are from a, a clearer place of like, what would be a productive, useful way to respond to whatever is happening in my life right now. And the simple act of just moving your body, taking a pause, whether it's going for a walk or doing what I just guided, allows us to respond in a way that we would like to respond. And then we don't, we can skip the whole part where we lash out, say something we didn't want to say, and then feel guilt or, or shame about it afterwards. Mm -hmm. Wow. it's really good. I hope everyone does that. Well, what are, um, you've mentioned a couple of them, but what are some other, you know, rituals that you do in your, your day-to-day, -day, especially living in New York, which I know from experience is very chaotic. And I've asked you, you know, as I'm moving back, like, what are, you know, the things you do to make you feel like you're 
you're still in nature, you're slowing down, you're, you know, staying in tune with yourself. Cause I know how easy it is to kind of lose yourself in the city. Um, so in, yeah, two part question, but rituals for, you know, feeling those emotions, rituals in your day, rituals, you know, to feel sane in New York. Mm-hmm. So there's a few things. One, I've been starting every single morning almost with Wim Hof breathing. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with it, Lauren, but I it, am, but you tell the audience. Yeah. It, it's essentially you are, you're breathing in a way where you're, you're fully inhaling and fully exhaling pretty quickly, 30 to 40 breaths in a row, maybe. And then on the last of those 30 or 40 breaths, you hold the exhale for about however long you can go. It could be 30 seconds or a minute on the bottom of the exhale, you just hold and you don't take any breath. And at the end of that window, the 30 seconds, the minute you take a deep inhale, hold it for 15 seconds and then exhale. And I do that typically for three rounds, anywhere from three to five rounds. And just to give a demo of like a couple of breaths, it would be like, and you just do like 30 to 40 of those. So I, I wish that I was more fluent in the science, but what it's doing is alkalizing your blood and like clearing a lot of the toxins out of there. And what emerges after a couple of rounds is a complete clear headedness. Like when I wake up, my mind is racing and I I'm starting to think about all the things I want to get done for the day. And maybe I'm thinking about a thing that I said yesterday that I didn't want to say. And once I get through a few rounds of, of uh, Wim Hof breathing, I feel clear headed, present, grounded. And this isn't a way to bypass what my thoughts and feelings are, but rather to access them from a more, I call it, I, I, again, to refer to conscious leadership group, they, they have above the line and below the line. So above the line being present, open, curious, below the line would be triggered, reactive, activated in some way. Accessing these feelings and thoughts from an above the line place allows me to start my day from a way more present and open and curious place. So that's been one of my tools that I've been really leaning on. Another is immediately after that, I, I typically do like a little bit of a meditation in there, but after Wim Hof breathing and meditating, I have been journaling with a lot more consistency. And journaling has been something that I've known the efficacy of for a long time, but I couldn't find a consistent practice for myself. I just, I tried to do it at the end of the day and I, you know, I'd go with basic prompts about what did I learn today? What am I grateful for? And I think there's a really good place for that stuff, but I just, for whatever reason, wasn't sticking to it. My journaling practice these days focuses on, uh, I do it in the morning and I focus on what did I do yesterday? Where did I feel most alive? Where did I feel most activated? And what can I learn from each of those things? So like for aliveness, I've really been, that's why the podcast continues to grow and grow is like a lot of my aliveness comes from having conversations like we're having. I mean, I'm in a total flow state right now and absolutely vibing and loving this. And I, I get this, I have the blessing of getting this in almost every podcast conversation that I ever have. 
So then it becomes my curiosity will be, okay, well, how can I bring that into everyday conversations? So at one point I was like doing a lot of networking calls and it was in big groups and that's not really the environment that I thrive in. So it was like, okay, well, how can I network with people in a way that feels alive for Michael? And I've been doing a lot more one-on-one calls with people. So it's little pattern recognition like that. It's like if I just in the next morning when I'm clear headed right after Wim Hof breathing, if I can analyze what happened in the day before, then I come up, I come with patterns and takeaways that I can continue to build on. And like maybe on the flip side, I notice a lot of times if like I might be activated by being bored at work if I'm doing my accounting. And so I will to bring it back to like needs and feelings, I will say like, what need could I meet if I'm doing accounting? And like one of them is my financial stability. So like I can, that's one thing that I can really lean on is like, okay, well, financial stability is actually something that's really important to me. So like, let's not resist that. I, I, I like to, I like to believe that because I found my passion that I should be doing this like full time. And I keep coming back to accounting is giving me really good flexibility and stability to do these things. So like, let's stop resisting that, Mike. Another one has been, I I can be a little bit hard on myself when I'm coaching someone or in conversations in like podcasts or whatever I'm doing professionally. And I honor that part of me. That's a perfectionist and wants to do a really good job. I think it's gotten me a lot of results, but I also can really invite in the compassion of like, good for you for showing up. Like you, you were hard on yourself, but good for you for continuing to show up, Mike. So that's been, the journaling has been instrumental for me. I've, I've really been loving doing that every single morning. And yeah, some other things when I have lunch, I love to eat. <laughs> I mean, we've uh-huh. gone out for a couple of meals together and you know <laughs> that I love to eat. And I, I know that you do too. So typically when I have my lunch, I'm fasted for like 16 to 18 hours. My mind is going, let's fucking dive in and devour this thing. And one of the things I've been doing recently is just setting a timer on my phone for three to five minutes and without, without fault, every, or without fail, every single time that I sit down for lunch, I don't want to set that three to five minute timer. I just want to dig in and start eating. But what I do for those three to five minutes is typically my mind is still racing because I'm in the middle of a work day. But after the first minute, I'll start to really tune into the present moment and feel grateful for I'll think of like where my lettuce came from in my salad and where the onions and the people that stocked the shelves and the farmers that that actually grew all the food. And uh, I'll take in the smells like right now, even just describing this right now, I can, I can take in the smells of the seasoning that I use in my salad and the, the grateful for the chickens that laid those pasture raised eggs. So then, you know, of course my mind will wander and, and then I come back to that. And uh, what also happens is I get to tune into my body. I just be still and see what's there. So sometimes I'm really stressed and agitated and that's okay. Like, can I just welcome that? So I, I've really loved those little moments. It's not just before lunch. I try and build in these little moments of stillness every day so that I can just slow down and take a step back and 
it's really easy to fall into the trap of just doing things and doing things, especially with, you know, I'm juggling a lot of balls right now, but yeah, just take that deep breath and give yourself like 30 seconds or a minute. Those have been great practices for me. So awesome. I mean, the journaling prompts are great and I'm really excited about those. And I will also just say, I mean, reflecting back on this whole episode, one of my main takeaways is a guy like you, you know, you see them from afar, you hear you on your podcast and you're like, wow, he's, you know, he's got it together. He's so enlightened. Oh my God. He has so many tools, so many tricks. And yet you're still have mentioned, you feel anger, fear, stress, agitation, activation, all these things that I think people always assume, okay, if I, once I, you know, get to a certain point of enlightenment, like I'm not going to feel any of that anymore. And growth never stops. And it's really more about like learning the tools to help you work through those feelings, but you're still going to feel them. It's never going to stop. And so I think Mm -hmm. that to me as a listener would be one of my like best takeaways for this episode is just both of these people have mentioned feeling these feelings. And I, I've talked about my anxiety and even though I have all these tools and tricks, and I think on social media, especially, it's very easy to just be like, wow, their life's perfect. They don't feel any of those things that I feel. It's not true at all. Not at all. Yeah. There's, I think all of us have a like seven or eight year old in us that gets, if it gets poked or triggered in some way, it comes out like the, the whiny, like, come on, man, it's pay, pay attention to me. Or why you say that? So like, I don't know if that ever goes away, but it is, I'm constantly paying attention to those things now. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you mentioned you had some questions that you like to finish your episodes with. I, I would love if you could ask them to yourself, because I'm <laughs> curious. <laughs> well, oh, the... I love that. You're, you're such a good interviewer, Lauren. So I, I really okay. appreciate you doing this. The, I love the ordinary moment question. So to, to remind the listeners, I brought it up at the top of the interview. Brene Brown in her podcast asks something to the effect of what's an ordinary moment in your everyday life that brings you great joy. And I have... I have two. So I actually mentioned one of them already in the episode, but most mornings I have the good fortune of being able to read whatever book I'm reading before work. And um, I'm having my morning coffee and my wife is sitting at the other end of the couch and she's reading her book and she's got her morning coffee. And we're both so connected in quiet solitude together, just reading a book with our coffee and an ordinary everyday moment, especially heightened one for me is sometimes I'll put the coffee down and I'll just take a look over at her and she's just reading and she has her coffee. And I'm like, this is, this is what it's all about. Like we're both engaging with things that we love learning about and we're together and that that's like the ultimate form of presence. And I, I have the good fortune of experiencing that every day. And another one I mentioned this in my vows to my wife. Typically, I wake up before her. And when she comes out, I'm probably journaling on the couch or something a little bit before my morning coffee. And my wife, I I hear the light in the bathroom click on. So I could picture that click right now. And she uh, I hear her rinse up. And then she puts her toothpaste on her toothbrush. It's an electric toothbrush. She always walks out 
and like is brushing her teeth and like does this really adorable good morning wave to me. And uh, that's how she starts her day. And it's like one of, one of my favorite ordinary everyday moments. So that, that is my answer to that question. Oh my gosh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> that's really, really sweet. It's amazing to me too, because like you are such a, a moment in her morning, like her morning is her coming out to wave to you and like that you could be something that important to someone is just, mm. that gives me chills. And I, I have a similar moment. It's usually at night though, where we're both reading in bed next to each other. And I, I've definitely caught him looking over at me. So mm-hmm. you guys, <laughs> um, that's a, that's a really great question and a beautiful answer. Um, if, did you have any other questions that you ask your guests that you want to ask yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Well, one of my favorite questions that I ask people also, again, I, I don't know if I have an original question. I, I borrow them from all my favorite people. So I, I stole this one from Tim Ferriss and he asks a lot of times, what is your favorite or best investment that you've ever made? It could be financial. It could be anything that was an investment of your time or resources in some way. So if I ask myself, what's the best investment that I've ever made? It might be the first time I hired a life coach because it propelled me to go on this journey that I've been on. And so I've made lots of good investments in my life. But the ones that immediately come to mind for me are the ones that I did for myself and for my growth, my development in some way. So it's, it's, I never think about a thing that I bought, or something that I own, I I always think about investing in coaching or doing a a workshop or doing the, the um, certification that you and I did together at IIN, those are the, the things that come to mind for me for best investments. All right, Mike. Well, I will say it's been about a year, I think, since we did our first episode. And I've, I've heard and noticed so much growth in both of us. Um, now I'm actually curious. I kind of want to go back and listen to that first episode, but I yeah. really, yeah, I've seen the growth a lot. So I'm excited for episode number three. Yes, me too, Lauren. I've seen the growth in you as well. And I already named it in this interview, but you're just such a good question asker and listener. And I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful. One of the other things that has grown a lot, not just us on the individual level is our friendship. And so I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And I'm so excited that you're coming back to New York as well. Me too. I can't wait. Uh, well, thank you so much. This was awesome. Yes, it was. It was awesome for me as well. And yeah, this uh, we have the good fortune of releasing this on both of our podcasts. So I want to, I'll, I'll let you make a sign off if you want to <laughs> as well. But I want to invite both of our listeners that uh, whenever you're listening to have a great rest of your day or evening and that you uh, start to feel your feelings and, and welcome whatever is present for you. We, we all make up a lot of stories about the way things should be. And we're all indoctrinated into certain cultures. And we, we live a very, in, in Western society, a lot of times we live a very neck up in our head life. And I want to invite my listeners to get into their body. Yeah. 
And, and I want to invite our, my listeners to, you know, do what makes you happy and stop thinking about what other people might think about it. Because Mike was thinking about a podcast, you know, I think was a little bit in his head about what people would think about it. Came on my show, had such a blast that he went off and started his show and now is killing it and is so happy doing it. And I think we both are of the same mindset that even if we have zero listeners, like, I don't care because it's just, it's been so enjoyable to have these conversations. Um, so grateful for you, Mike, grateful for your show. And I think Mike's listeners, I think you'll enjoy my show as well. My <laughs> listeners, I think you'll enjoy Mike's show. I think we have very similar like interview style. We like to go deep. Um, so thank you for this space and thanks for listening. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.